We have been looking at this wonderful book. When did we start in First Peter? Was it back in April or May? And as we exposit God's Word here at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, we always come to God's Word with anticipation and eagerness. And God always honors us when we read His Word and we listen for His voice. And at this point of our worship service, this is when we really wish to open our hearts and open our minds so that the Lord can speak to us through His Word. This is not a message that is planned as far as a topic, but it is planned in the fact that it is God's word that we are diligently focused on and we are listening to everything that he tells us. So if you can, let us stand in reverence as we read God's word together. 1 Peter chapter 5, the first four verses. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Father God, we do thank you that in this letter from your servant Peter, you have reminded us what the role of the church is in a world that is hostile to the gospel. We are to be meek. We are to be Christ-like. We are to be dependent and have faith placed directly in our source of salvation, which is Jesus Christ alone. Not in our own efforts. We are to be a witness to the world who, who despises your word. We are to be a witness as a community who love one another because Christ loves us. And in turn we love the world even though they hate the, they hate the truth of the gospel. And so God, right now as we close out this letter from your servant Peter. Teach us God what it means to be... A, led by your shepherd. We are led by your son, Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd, but then below that, in your order and in your design, God, you have established leadership for your flock. What does this look like in a world that is hostile to the gospel? What does this look like in ordering the church for your purposes and the way you desire God, teach us this morning, we pray. We always look to your word, and we look to hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. As we come to this final chapter of 1 Peter, this is a great transition at this time of the year as we are beginning to think through what the next year as a church looks like. We've been here for 12 months. And the Lord has blessed us. He has walked with us day by day. We have taken baby steps along the way, not rushing into anything and making a church what we want it to be. I think we have all struggled a little bit along the way. We have been frustrated with things that we thought should happen but didn't from 
I mean, this is going to be church lore for the rest of our existence as a church. From just trying to order hymnals, that seemed to be like a trauma, right? took months for us to finally get those after they got lost several times, right? And you know, some people would just throw up their hands and say, God doesn't want us to be a church. We can't get hymnals. And so we just kind of, right? And so, you know, we kind of persevered through that. And the Lord taught us a few things. He taught us patience. Even uh, working with this building, we are blessed by being allowed to use this building. And there are some things as a pastor that I wish that we could do, but we don't own the building. And we have to... Uh, we have to honor the owners of this building, right? And so there's patience here. There is baby steps along the way. But when we come here to chapter 5, the Apostle Peter writing to the churches, remember he's writing words of encouragement in this letter. This is a letter of encouragement to the churches. And so when he comes now to the final closing, he is now addressing directly the leadership of the church. You are living in a, an environment of hostility, according to, according to Peter here. He is telling the church, I know that you're in exile. I know that you're living in foreign territory. I know that you're living in, in pagan lands that do not understand, or nor do they wish to understand the gospel. But there is hope. And so now he turns his attention to the leaders of these groups, the leaders of these churches. Because the leadership of the church is how the church will be directed. The leaders guide the flock. They guide God's people to understand where they come from, where they are in, in the, the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ, and also what it is that God is teaching them in the midst of their persecution. It is the leadership of the flocks the leadership of the churches that Peter is exhorting, this is your role. Now, what does this look like? I know that I will not cover everything that needs to be covered over this idea of leadership in the church today. So this is the beginning of several weeks of, of teaching through what Scripture means about elders in the church, about pastors in the church, about leadership in the church this is just one passage of several that I want to go through over the next three to four weeks. The reason I wish to do this is because as we meet as a church tonight for our business meeting, the one thing that I think we need to begin to focus on next is even though we do have a leadership structure here, I want us to begin to think more diligently about ordering that structure more uh, consistently. What does this look like biblically? The men who are called to leadership. What calling is God placed upon them? The weight of that responsibility. The responsibility of the church to the leaders. All of these things are important to see what God says about his church. Amen? Because leadership is a responsibility. The leaders have a responsibility that God has placed upon them. The church themselves have a, leader, a responsibility to the leadership as well. And what does God expect here? It's not a dictatorship. <laughs> Okay, we're not despots here. This is not a, uh, we're not supposed to be pushing people under our thumb. So what does this look like and how does this affect the church? How does this affect the gospel? Here in verse 1 of chapter 5, Peter says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He's addressing more than one leader. He says, so I exhort the elders. Notice here that he's talking in the plural. 
I exhort the elders, more than one leader, a group of leaders, a team of leaders. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder myself and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. See, as a fellow elder, Peter is calling all elders, all pastors to come alongside him as he serves the church as a whole. He's asking the elders of the local churches themselves to follow him and walk with him in this calling. What does this look like? The idea of elder here is the word that we actually get Presbyterian from. That's the Greek root here, presbytos, that we get Presbyterian. That doesn't mean that everybody from Scripture has to be in the Presbyterian church. Okay, let's just make sure that we don't misinterpret this. Okay, but the term Presbyterian comes from this idea of eldership leadership structure. An elder or a presbyteros is someone who is responsible. Someone who is given the, uh, uh, the accountability of the people to guide them and direct them in the word of God. This is nothing new in God's structure for his people. Um, there was the Sanhedrin prior to the establishment of the Christian church. There was the Sanhedrin and they, were, they had a council of elders. Men who gathered regularly to hear issues of the people, to hear issues of the community, to guide the community and guide God's people in the way that God expected them to go. So there's nothing new. In Acts chapter 11, we see that the Jerusalem church established elders, plural. They were in the same vein here as the Council of Elders of the Sanhedrin, but more specifically for the church. Under the direction of Jesus Christ and under the direction of the gospel, uh, they led the church. First Timothy chapter 5 speaks about this and says those who are called to this, uh, this office, those are who labor in preaching and teaching, that is a specific calling for a few in the church. So this idea of eldership or pastor, this is another way that you can understand this term, is someone who is a shepherd. Because to be a pastor is to actually lead the flock to the grazing and to the water and to all that that is necessary for their well-being. That's the role of this office that Peter's talking about here. I exhort the elders among you. Now we could say that this is also talking about the older men of the community. And in a lot of ways, that is true. But you also have to understand that this, is a, this text here does not specifically speak about age. More importantly, it's speaking about leadership here that God has established, that God himself has said, this is what I want for my people. This is the structure. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter here is begging, he's encouraging, he's exhorting the leaders. Be an example to the flock. Amen? Now, let's just, let's just be honest. As, I mean, as human beings, we are wired by God's design to look for leadership. We need someone to direct us and guide us. Now, sometimes we don't know the next step. But God, in his wisdom, established in us as human beings this need for leadership. The same thing occurs in the church. 
as God's people, we do come and we support each other and we encourage each other. But we do need God's leadership to hold us accountable to the word. We need God's leadership to encourage us in the faith. When we get frustrated and we get depressed and we get sorrowful and we're about ready to give up on Jesus Christ, it's the leadership that's there to comfort us and to encourage us and to strengthen us. The leadership is to be that rock. Leadership is to be that established standard. What is Peter's name here? Right? Peter's name means the rock. Jesus himself established Peter as the cornerstone of the church to be that weight-bearing responsibility for the rest of the church. Here's what he says. He says that the leadership, in verse 2, is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, this imagery here of the elder as a shepherd is important for God's church. The elder or pastor, whichever term you wish to use here, in verse 2, Peter is saying you are to be like a shepherd of sheep because God's people are his flock. They are his precious ones. They are the ones who need direction. They don't know where the the green grass is. They don't know where the fresh water is. They don't know where to turn to in times of turmoil and spiritual trouble. They need you to be a shepherd. This is a big responsibility here. and it's It's a very clear description of the leadership of the church that they are not to be dictators. More so here, we see more evidence that Peter is talking here not just to one leader, but he's talking to a plurality of leaders, a group of leaders, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This, this word here for you is actually in the plural. So it's almost as if Peter is saying, shepherd the flock of God that is amongst you all. So he's talking here still specifically to a group of people, group of men specifically. This idea of oversight To oversee means to watch over the flock with care. To oversee everyone's spiritual condition before the Lord. And more specifically in verse 2, Peter is making very clear, he's describing exactly what this looks like. He says that we are to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Now, when I was reading through verse 2 here, preparing for this sermon over the last few weeks. This one line here in verse 2 really strikes me as unusual as a pastor. Because when I read verse 2 that the shepherd of a flock is to exercise oversight not under compulsion but willingly. I have to stop and think about my own call to ministry. And I then start comparing that to other men that I talk to who have been in ministry for many years. And you know one common theme I see from everyone who is in ministry or in some type of church leadership. Not a single one of these men say, yeah, I'll, I'll signed up for that willingly. Not one. You ever ponder that? Someone who is wrestling with a call of God to anything in the church, especially to this level of leadership, any young man or any man who says, yeah, God has called me to this and I'm ready to jump right in. I'm scared when I hear that. 
The call to leadership in the church is not something to be taken lightly. It is something that in my own personal experience I wrestled with for years. I'm just going to be real direct with you. I have days I still wrestle with it. God, what in the world have you asked me to do? So I'm, I'm confused here about what Peter's talking about. He's saying that the leader should shepherd the flock, not under compulsion, but willingly. I think, yes, a leader must be willing to take on this responsibility, but not without personal, spiritual discernment that this is exactly what God has asked us to do. And it's not something that I want to establish myself in. Those men in leadership that said, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a pastor when I was three years old and that never changed. And I made a church and I built a church and this, that and the other. They go down the list of all their accomplishments. I just cringe when I hear stuff like that. And you all know exactly what I'm talking about. So men who come into leadership. Now, in the Baptist church, we have what we call deacons. We're going to talk about that in the next few weeks as well. We have elders. We have deacons. We have pastors. I know many churches that I have been a part of and I've actually been able to serve part-time and serve in other ways. You, and every one of us knows this. There are those, some churches at some times you'll have deacons who said, well, this is what I wanted to do. And you really wonder, was this God's direction? This is why it's important for someone who is called to this role, and Peter here is making it very clear, that we are not to serve under compulsion, but willingly. But that will must be in line with God's will. If God has called us to this, then we understand the responsibility of what God has called us to do, then that shepherd will depend on God directly for everything, every decision made, every responsibility, rather than them making that happen on their own. Now, when I read this here about not under compulsion, I also have to start thinking about in church history and even in Scripture. Think about all of the great leaders of the Word of God who were called to great things. Did Moses willingly go and lead the people out of Egypt? God compelled him by scaring him to death at the burning bush. That seems to me like he was compelled pretty strongly by the will of God. We think about the Apostle Paul when he was converted. What was his conversion story? The Apostle Paul was knocked off his horse by a light, by an extreme light. And and Jesus himself stood there and knocked him off his horse and he's laying in the dirt blind. That seems like a pretty strong, compelling, you're going to do this or else. One other leader in church history that you may not be aware of, but St. Augustine of Hippo from the fourth century of the church. Well, and actually, many scholars believe that Augustine is one of the greatest theologians who shaped theological thought apart from Paul. It was Paul and then Augustine. That's the level that they're at. Augustine's conversion and his calling to the leadership of the church to be a, to be a, a bishop of the church. He was literally physically tackled by the people of Hippo and drug off and prayed over and ordained to be a bishop when you read his story because all the people admired his conviction of the scriptures they admired his submission to the leadership of Jesus Christ they admired his Christian conviction he didn't choose to be a bishop of the church the people physically dragged him off and ordained him so when I read here in verse 2 Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, 
not under compulsion. I pause. It says, but willingly. That willingly must be in alignment with God's will. Because if you see here in the next part of verse 2, that willingly is as God would have you. You are to shepherd the flock of God as God himself would have you do. I think that's the key point. The elders of the church are not to lead the church out of their own wishes, their own desires for power. They're not to lead the people out of a desire to be loved by the masses. The leader is not to shepherd the flock in order to build up their ego. I don't know many shepherds of sheep that actually feel that that's a very glamorous thing. And I don't know that their, their ego is very uplifted when they're out there with the sheep. Those of you who have sheep, Matt and Melanie, or is your ego boosted when you're out there with the sheep? Or are you humble pretty quickly? Now, the sheep will humble the leader very quickly. The sheep will humble that shepherd every single time. And so the leader is called to lead as God would have you to do. Your will in alignment with God's will. Not for shameful gain in verse 2, but eagerly. The call to lead the church let me just be honest with you, is not a very lucrative venture. True leaders of the church are not in it for the money. It's not there. Now, granted, the Catholic Church has a lot of money. And a lot of leadership of the Catholic Church, they live very well, but at the same time, they also live very simply. The leader of God's church is not to jump into this role of leadership for their own selfishness. But they are to also be serving with eagerness. Verse 3, they are to serve not in domineering over those in your charge, but by being examples to the flock. What kind of example does a pastor or an elder give to the church when that pastor is boastful, when that pastor is domineering over the lives of the people? You're going to do it my way or else. That's not a very good Christ-like example, would you agree? Now, Jesus Christ, who has all power, all authority, is who we do model our lives after, and especially the leadership of the church does the same. But does Jesus domineer over us? His holiness and His perfection clearly does domineer. Absolutely. Because anyone who ponders just for a minute how Awesome, the power of Jesus Christ is through His humility and His crushing of sin and His passion to redeem us through that. Now that would cause anybody to just fall on their face prostrate before the Lord in humility. Jesus' domination over us is not something that is hateful or hurtful but Jesus' domination over our lives is that that is proven through sacrifice and love and compassion. But at the same time, strength to stand firm for the truth of the gospel. The shepherds of the church are not to domineer over those under them. But we're to be examples to the flock. As your pastor, let me just tell you, as every time that I go back and read these passages, because... Those in leadership know these passages well. They have been taught these before they were ever ordained. 
And these are passages of Scripture that we must come back to and remind ourselves of our role. When I read verse 3, be examples to the flock, there are times that I must confess I don't know that I'm the right example. And when those times when I'm not, I pray that you would show me, Brian, are you being Christ-like right now? That's where leaders, elders, need other elders and other leaders to work beside them so that one single leader does not fall into the sin and the trap of domination and and ego. This is another a reason why in this text I think Peter is clearly talking to elders of the church more than one single one. Leadership needs other leaders. Men need other men. Just like ladies, you need each other. You get together regularly to encourage each other. Men, we do the same thing or we need to do the same thing. But men, it's difficult with our responsibilities of work and family and church. Oh, wait a minute. The car broke down. I've got to fix that. Oh, wait a minute. The yard needs to be mowed. I've got to do that. Oh, wait a minute. The roof is leaking. Now I've got to go do that. Oh, wait a minute, the boss is calling. I've got to work on this project again. Man, I, I get it. We're, we're, we're stretched. We've got a lot of different people calling on us and needing us. But, men, we need to support each other. This is why those in leadership must be a plurality of leaders, not just one single leader. In verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Again here in verse 4, Jesus is shown here as the model to emulate. These elders and these pastors must model their leadership and even their own personality after the chief shepherd, which is Jesus Christ himself. Now, here's the interesting thing here. As I think what Peter is also trying to tell the leaders of the church, he's trying to give them their calling, he's trying to describe what it looks like. Peter gives the title of pastor or shepherd, or in this translation, elder, for a reason. Those who are called to this office in the church, God has delivered to the pastors the responsibility, but God has not delivered to the pastors the responsibility of government as much as he's given them the responsibility of care. You see the difference? There's a difference between running a government and actually showing oversight and care. It's not that the leadership of the church is to govern. It's the leadership of the church is to shepherd, to care, to guide, to give example. This is one of the reasons I think it's very dangerous when you only have one leader of the church making all the decisions in the church. The pastor is not to govern pastor is to shepherd. This is also why the pastor is dependent upon the flock itself. This is why it's important for there not only to be one pastor, but to be a group of elders who, who lead together. This is why it's important to distribute the responsibilities of leadership amongst multiple people. As a pastor, I am called by this passage right here to be a shepherd and to care for you. But I will confess, in recent weeks and months, I find it difficult to practically impossible to do that adequately. 
I'm just confessing you. This week particularly, I had two people I wanted to go visit, but I couldn't. I had work responsibilities that kept me from doing it. I then had a family need in Kingsport, Tennessee I had to go to. I wasn't expecting. What I'm getting ready to say next, please don't take it as a complaint. It's just where I find myself right now. I've been up for the last three nights until after midnight trying to get work done. I had things I wanted to prepare for our meeting this afternoon that I still don't have done. I'm still trying to get it all pulled together and printed off. There are times that as the pastor I'm thinking, I need help, Lord. I am grateful for Matt and Melanie Parrott for taking care of the checkbook. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't need to touch that. I thank my wife Rhonda and the, and the network of women in this church. You all just take care of the refreshments and, and the food and our fellowship meals. You take care of ordering the child care for the little ones downstairs. Hallelujah. Thank you. And Caleb Carr, you are an answered prayer. God bless you. How many months and weeks did I try to lead hymns as well as preach and everything else? Thank you, Caleb, for coming our way. I'm glad God sent you to us. Amen. There's always more that needs to be done and, and when we're trying to order the church. I would love for somebody to have to, for God to say, I'm calling you to deal with the administration of this church, to deal with the paperwork and, and, and paying the bills and printing off reports. And, you know, that's just life. I mean, we are a nonprofit in the state of Tennessee in the United States of America. There are legal things that we have to do. I wish I didn't have to do it. As part of just living in life. But the shepherd of the flock is supposed to be focused on shepherding the spiritual health of the flock. That's the calling. I have friends in India. You know, I've been in India for the last several years off and on, uh, back and forth with mission work. Um, and I'm actually, and this is uh, the first time I'm reporting this, it looks like I'm going back in January. We'll go back again for a week and talk with some people I have networks with. And, and look over some projects that they have finished and talk about some future projects they need. And at the same time, I'm going to pray that God would use that time in India in January to perhaps start praying over whether or not we could take a group from this church to the people that I know in India and we can go on a mission trip and serve some brothers and sisters around the world. Maybe that will happen in the next year or two. But my friends in India, I, I go and I work with pastors there. I'm working with... A, a pastor's training school and we encourage pastors and we train them and we, and we just encourage them. And you know what? Whenever I stop and think about all that I have to do and I don't have enough time to get it done, I go and I remember these young pastors there who are pastoring and shepherding up to six or some even twelve churches each. God tells me just to quit my whining. Even in India, they have to report to the government. You realize that to be a church in the nation of India, you must agree by the government's decree to provide some type of nonprofit service to the community, and the government oversees that. That's one of the reasons that orphanages are very prevalent in India. When we support orphanages there, it's because by government mandate, the church needs to take up that mantle. Feeding programs, schools, you name it. Churches, in order to exist as a church in the nation of India, must do something like that with government oversight. They've got a lot going on, too. 
The work of the church is busy. And because it's busy, because everyone in this room has a job, everyone in this room has a family, everyone in this room has children they're chasing after, everyone in this room, you've got church things to do. We are busy people, and God has given us responsibility to proclaim the gospel in the midst of it. And I think what Peter here is telling us in chapter 5 is elders, pastors, shepherds, you got a lot to do. And the flock is looking to you, for example. Now, over the next few weeks, I want to continue to look at this idea of eldership and leadership. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at Titus chapter 1. We read Titus chapter 1 as our opening passage today. We're going to look at passages in the book of Acts as the deacons were called to serve the church. I want us over the next probably three to four weeks, look at this idea of leadership for this purpose. Because as a church, one of the things we're going to talk about tonight at our 5 o'clock business meeting is what does an established leadership structure look like for us? Who, are we, who can we establish as elders in this church alongside me that we can work together as a team to shepherd us all? I think this is an important thing. And I want us to take the next three weeks to do that. After that, I want us to segue into talking about what does a healthy church look like? What does a biblical healthy church look like? So as we end out this calendar year going into the first part of 2019, I want us to really be praying about our church. I think we've got a great group of people here. Y'all are loving. But do we fully understand what a biblical church looks like? It's good for us to review that. Those tenets of Scripture from time to time. This, I think, is a good season for us to do that. But the structure of the church begins, number one, with Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. Amen? He is our example. He is, he is our Savior. If you really stop and weigh that word in your thoughts, He is our Savior. He is worthy of our worship. But God's people are ordered. God's people function in an orderly way. While at the same time somehow being this organic thing that's not a machine. <laughs> right? But even then, I mean, we're, that, that which functions organically also is directed by God's creative order. Amen? It's a both-and situation. So we're going to look and pray through that. What does this look like? I ask that you pray for me. As I really weigh spiritually, what does, what does this look like? We as a church moving forward, what is God asking us to do? It's very possible that God has also placed upon your spirit a calling of some kind. I've talked with several people over the last several weeks and months. The Lord is dealing with you on an individual basis. He's and it, there's a stirring in the spirit that begins with the individual that then other people around you begin to confirm for you. God uses that to draw people into ministry. This is how we encourage and challenge each other. So if the Lord's stirring up a calling within you, a passion for ministry, may not, he may not be calling you to an eldership. But he may be calling you to serve someone or something. Let's encourage each other in that and support each other in that. Fair enough? And pray for each other. If the Lord is dealing with you on that, 
please feel free to talk to me. Ladies, you feel free to talk to Rondo if you need to pull me into that, pull me into that. I'd love to really talk with more people more regularly. It'd be a great thing. If we can ever figure out our schedules. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, you are good. And I thank you, Lord, that you never abandoned us in our sin, but that, dear God, you have called us to community together. I am grateful, Father, for the fact that you have placed us in this place at this moment for the one single purpose of worship. And I do pray, dear God, that you would love us and you would guide us and that you would encourage us, especially when we feel like giving up. Our prayer, dear God, is that we would bring you glory. But we don't want to do this under our own power. We wish to bring you glory by obeying your word and by following the lead of your spirit and by challenging each other and encouraging each other as a family. Use us, dear God, in this community. Use us, dear God, in all that you ask us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.